You're listening to audio from New King Church. If you'd like to get our weekly sermons, hit subscribe. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit newkingchurch.com. The Lord be with you. Hey, good job, some of you. <laughs> Not the rest, no. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's a blessing for you guys. Uh, today is the third part in our series, Jesus According to Jesus, uh, looking at how Jesus himself defines himself, right? And uh, he does this in John's gospel through these different I am statements. That's what we're looking at. And uh, our world, this is important because our world has its own ideas on who Jesus is, and so we need to cut through the metaphorical crap, shall we? So, um, so what did he say about himself? There's two I am statements actually in John 10 right here. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And we'll be giving special attention to that second statement, I am the good shepherd. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful Beautiful statement, and I, I hope that in this message, I just my hope for us is that we can get a glimpse of the goodness of the Good Shepherd. Uh, if we can just get a glimpse of that, I believe we will run to Him to be known and cared for by our Creator. So, um, you know, as I was uh, I was looking at this text of the Good Shepherd, I. Uh, I was, uh, well, we, we were actually, this last week, Tuesday, we were having our, our leadership meeting, our weekly leadership meeting, and uh, I got there with this long list of concerns and circumstances in my head, and, but Ben, he uh, opened up the meeting uh, with this question, and he asked all of us this question, uh, how's your soul doing? How's your soul doing? And at first I was like, I don't even know what that means. What are you asking us right now? <laughs> and I kind of just let other people uh, answer it just to see what other people would say. And, uh, but then he explained that normally when we tell people how we're doing, uh, we talk about the things going on around us, right? Our circumstances, our job, our school, uh, our ministry, you know, the things going on around us. Um, but rarely do we talk to others or take the time to think about the question, how's my soul? How am I doing? What am I feeling right now? And how's my relationship with the Lord going? And um, I didn't get it at first, but by the time it got around to me, I, I kind of got it. And, and I realized, I was like, oh yeah, I'm lonely. <laughs> I was like, I'm lonely, actually. And I realized I had been spending my time pouring into other souls, and that I hadn't had anything poured into me. Um, and I realized that uh, there was this sense in me that no one really knows me, and no one knows what's really going on inside, and no one really cares, you know? Whoa. <laughs> and um, <laughs> is he saying that up there? And, um, but one thing that broke this pattern was a few days actually before that, um, I went, uh, I had gone to the bagel place with Jamal Johnson Anderson. 
<laughs> I like last names. Jamal Johnson Anderson. And, um, and so we got there for coffee. And uh, Jamal, raise your hand just so people know who you are. <laughs> He's such an introvert, so he hates the attention. But that, that, he has a shepherd's heart, that guy. Um, you'll want to get to know him. Um, and... Yeah, I, I didn't, when we met for coffee, though, I didn't realize anything was wrong, uh, but he could tell right away, and uh, he could see it, and we had this great conversation, and I came away from that just feeling so refreshed. And uh, I think there's a lot of us here who don't feel known or cared for, uh, or who at the very least long for friendship and companionship, and I think that God wants to refresh you today. I think he wants to refresh someone here today. And, uh, and I found this interesting. Responding to a health insurance survey, uh, 54% of people said that they felt like no one actually knows them well. And another 40% of people said that they lack companionship, that their relationships aren't meaningful, and that they feel isolated from others. And actually, those statistics get higher the younger you are. Um, so there's, there's a lot of lonely people in America, right? Um, that's, Mother Teresa said that it, poverty and hunger aren't the greatest problems facing our world. Loneliness is. And, but, but how about the rest of us maybe who don't feel quite so lonely this morning? Um, we do long for friendship and companionship, though, all of us. And, you know, we see in God's word that this is the most basic of human needs. Uh, we see in Genesis 1 that God made a lot of good things. Uh, but there was one thing in all that he made that he didn't see as good. Um, it says that he made light and saw that it was good. He made vegetation and mammals and fish and birds of the feather and flock together. And, and he saw that it was good. And then he made a man his own image, and he saw that it was good. Um, but then there was one thing that wasn't good. And what did God say? Does anybody know? It is not good for the man to be alone. So out from Adam's side, <laughs> God fashioned him a friend, a companion, and a life partner, Eve. So why? Um, why do we have this basic human need for friendship and companionship. What is it about friendship that we long for? I think that the answer to that is pretty big, but I think part of it is to be known and cared for. And I think that's why it was so important that we get to know Jesus as the good shepherd, why Jesus had to let us know this about himself. I am the good shepherd. And as we comprehend the goodness of the good shepherd, we will run to him to be known and cared for. Uh, let us pray. Holy Spirit, teach us to pray. <sighs> Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, for giving him for us. Thank you for coming down to this earth to be our shepherd, to find souls to find sheep, to find us wherever we were, wherever we have been, wherever we are, and that you are reaching out to us to let us know that you do care, that we can be known, and that we can be cared for. So thank you, Father, and I pray that right now your spirit would teach us. You say that your spirit will teach us. So 
do that, Father. Do what you say your spirit does. Teach us. Use my weak mouth to speak your divine words. Be with us, God. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in the name of your blessed Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So look at verse 9. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, you actually, you might notice that this statement, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's not as connected with that idea of the good shepherd in the way that Jesus is saying it. It's more connected with that statement, I am the door. Entering into the sheepfold through the door, Jesus Christ, we are saved and we have life. It's like this, outside of the sheepfold, on the other side of that door, Jesus Christ, is a world of danger and death, of spiritual wolves and lions, and perhaps the worst thing, the thief. The thief is said to only come to steal, kill, and destroy, whereas the door is said to give life and life abundant. Now, because Jesus says the thief uh, as opposed to a thief, this refers less to a character and more to a person, that person being the devil or Satan. And Scripture also says this of the devil. The Apostle Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So basically, the devil wants to kill us. That's his end game. And how is he trying to accomplish that? Well, since it's spiritual, it might not be the way that you think. Uh, we get an idea of what the thief does when we contrast that with what Jesus, the door, seeks to give us as abundant life. So understand Jesus, God of the universe, may not define eternal life the way that you might or the way that the world might. Uh, he doesn't just define it in terms of quantity, right? Like how long is eternal life? Uh, he defines it by quality. Uh, you see Jesus defines eternal life as knowing God. That's kind of weird, right? I think if you talk to anybody on the street um, and say that, it's weird. I actually did that once. I, was, uh, <laughs> I used to work at Home Depot and um, in the lumber department, cutting wood here, you know, sawdust on my sleeve by the end of the day, and um, sleeve and collar. Anyway, and I, one day I was going to just, I was just doing absolutely, I'm not even kidding, an awesome job helping this customer, <laughs> and I, I was helping him find a ton of different products. I'd been there a while. I was like, oh, yeah, that's over there. And the guy said, man, you can help me find literally everything. And I said, yeah, I can even help you find the meaning of life. <laughs> I, I, was, I was in the spirit in the moment and said a crazy, crazy thing. And uh, he laughed. He kind of, you know, I mean, I kind of said it as a joke. Yeah, I, was like, I could find you help meaning of life. And he laughed. And, and then I said, but seriously, I can actually tell you <laughs> the meaning of life, if you'll hear it. And, uh, and he said, all right, all right. He said, I won't necessarily agree with it, but uh, go for it. And I said, 
I said this word, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. And he kind of looked at me like, all right, all right. And I said, I know it kind of sounds weird to say that the meaning of life is a person. Uh, and he's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and I said, but this is what Jesus said. He said it in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, knowing God, knowing the Father, knowing Jesus. And the guy was like, all right, well, thanks for helping me out. See you later. <laughs> anyway, so that didn't go where I thought it might, but anyway, makes for a good illustration, though. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's so important to understand what abundant life looks like because the thief wants to come in. He wants to deceive us about what life is really about. If he can convince us of a lie about what life is, then he can kill us, actually. Um, you can see this in our vision statement, actually, here at New King. Uh, it's, we exist to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. And the truth is that if we really wanted as many people as possible to follow Jesus, we could probably cause a lot more people to follow Jesus in Burlington if following Jesus meant being a kind, uh, socially responsible person. Uh, but that's not the extent of what following Jesus means. We could probably find a lot of suckers, too, if we change the definition of abundant life uh, in this passage we could probably have like a megachurch here if we told people that abundant life means physical health, physical wealth, physical prosperity. Uh, maybe then Pastor Ben could have that jet he's always been wanting, you know. But <laughs> he hasn't been wanting that, don't worry. But that is not what abundant life means, though. Uh, this is eternal life, knowing God. That's why in verse 14 Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. The abundant life to know God is to know God through the good shepherd Jesus and to be known by God. So I, I guess I want to know, how many of you today want to know God and be known by God? Is anybody here? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. All right, yeah, good. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's, that's why as the good shepherd, Jesus isn't asking the question we might want him to ask, right? Like, how's your wallet doing? Uh, or how's your job going? Or how's your business? Or how's school going? Right? <laughs> How well these things are going is not necessarily an in indicator of an abundant life. And don't get me wrong, he really does care about your circumstances and your needs. But as your shepherd, Christ's chief concern is for your soul. So while I'm sitting here praying, Lord, I really need a car, please provide me one, He's saying, Aaron, I'm concerned about your soul, and I'm using this to introduce you to living waters and green pastures. And I'm saying, God, ask me how my financial situation is. But he's saying, how's your soul, right? Um, so this is the reason. This is the reason that Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, gave his life for us. Because he loves us, because he knows us, because he wants us to know him, but in a very deep way also because he is the shepherd of our souls. He did it to shepherd our souls. 
And the Apostle Peter, he wrote this in 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25. He said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And are we that dumb of sheep to think that Christ's purpose for us has changed since he saved us? He saved us not so that we might live for ourselves, but so that we might live for him who for our sake died and was raised. And the Apostle Paul said it better than I can. He said this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might not, not, might not, sorry, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So he died to shepherd us, and he died to shepherd us not to perishable things that will wither with our bodies. He died to shepherd us to himself, to the source of life, to knowing him and being known by him. This was the purpose in his mind when he said in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. So I think we can say that he is good to us, is he not? He is a good shepherd. And he's called that for a reason, the good shepherd. But to fully understand how good of a shepherd Jesus is, it might be helpful to look at some bad shepherds. Uh, Jesus discusses the hired hand in verses 12 and 13. You might want to take a look at it. Verse 12, he says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. A bad shepherd does not know the sheep. He doesn't own them. And therefore, how can he care at all for the sheep? I mean, there's a sheep after all in the end, right? Would you rather get torn apart by a wolf or give your sheep up? And, you know, um, as I was thinking about this idea, little known fact about me, um, growing up, we actually owned a flock of goats. A flock of goats. About 16 or 18 at one point. And I actually spent a crazy amount of time with them growing up. And uh, I was a weird kid. I'd (laughs) I'd take, uh, I would take an aluminum broom handle and I'd unscrew the broom head and then it was no longer a broom, it was a shepherd's spear. And, <laughs> and then I'd lead them out to graze in our pasture. <laughs> and and I'd, I'd, uh, I'd lean on my aluminum spear, and I'd watch uh, the cars go by on the street, and I'd, I'd look at them like, stay away from my goats. <laughs> it was so weird. Seriously, I lived in my own fantasy. I was, I was homeschooled and around 16 years old. so we got those goats because we thought that uh, my dad had this genius idea he thought we'd save money on the tax breaks and we did not save any money on the tax breaks (laughs) Um, but we also figured we could sell some of our kids for meat 
Goat babies are called kids, <laughs> in case you're wondering. <laughs> so I thought it'd be more dramatic to say it that way. <laughs> so, does that sound bad? <laughs> yeah, well, so it gets worse, actually. Uh, so the female kids are for breeding, so you keep those, but the male kids, uh, they're for meat. So when we had our first male goat, we named him Beef Jerky. We, were, we figured he's... So... And, uh, <laughs> and uh, one day a Muslim family came to take Beef Jerky away. <laughs> You don't you have to be so serious. Um, <laughs> but he was, he was crying. I don't know if you've ever heard a, a baby goat cry. It's so sad. <laughs> it's, it's like, meh. That's how it sounds. And his mom heard him, and he, she was crying too. She goes, meh. <laughs> so sad. And then I was crying. And I didn't sound like that, but I was crying. <laughs> And then my whole family started to cry, and <laughs> we were all crying. $50 wasn't worth it, but except for my brother Luke, he didn't cry. <laughs> he never cried over those goats. And that's when we decided to never sell our kids again for money. So <clears throat> I always thought Luke was heartless for that. But... But looking back, he was a lot more consistent than I was. Uh, <laughs> like, sure, I may have cried, right? But in the end, uh, I let beef jerky go to be someone's Ramadan dinner, right? I didn't, I didn't like run after and say, no, you're not taking beef jerky. And my, my tears didn't actually drive me to save the goat, and that's because in the end, I knew that's all it was in the end. It was just a goat. And that's how the hired hand looks at the sheep. And a spiritual hireling views people like chattel. Uh, in the end, they don't care about them, and they are unwilling to sacrifice for them. So, why exactly is Jesus talking about bad shepherds at this point? Well, a, a little context will help. If you look back in the last chapter, we see that Jesus had healed a man born blind but the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the spiritual shepherds of Israel were upset with him for healing this blind man on a Saturday, which was the Sabbath. You don't do anything on the Sabbath. So when Jesus talks about the hired hands, he's subtly chastising them for caring more about their legalistic standards than about people. They are bad shepherds. And this wasn't just a problem in Jesus' day. God had entrusted other leaders in the past to shepherd his people, and they too had failed to care over their charge. And we get a really clear picture of bad shepherds in Ezekiel 34. It's worth taking a look at. You might want to turn over to Ezekiel 34. If you don't know where Ezekiel is, I don't know either. It's, um, if you know where the Psalms are, that's the biggest book in the Old Testament. It's like halfway through the Bible. Go past Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. I'm finding it too. Ezekiel <clears throat> 34. And we're going to... So e Ezekiel 34, it's actually really important to understand John 10 because it's kind of the Old Testament parallel passage of John 10. Um, and in it, we see that God despises bad shepherds that don't care about their flock. Listen to the state of these bad shepherds in Israel, these supposed spiritual leaders who are supposed to care about the souls of their flock. Look at verse 2. 
Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And in verse 10, we see God take a stance against the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Maybe some of you here today have been mishandled and uncared for by supposed spiritual leaders and shepherds. And honestly, I can't promise you that you're going to get any better anywhere else because ultimately no human leader is going to care for you out of true love for you, not without the power of the good shepherd working within them because he is the one who cares for you. So the bad shepherd doesn't know or care for God's sheep What is God's solution for bad shepherding? His solution is to become the shepherd of his people. This next part of Ezekiel 34 is jaw-dropping. It is a prophecy of God coming in the flesh to become the shepherd of his people. It is a prophecy that clearly shows that God is the Messiah, and the Messiah is the one shepherd that all of his sheep will be united under. Look at verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Skip down to verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. And in verse 22, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. 
and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is just a beautiful passage. It's like, how can you understand John 10 without this? I don't know. The servant David, he is the Messiah. That's, that's what the servant David is throughout the Old Testament, is looked at prophetically as the Messiah. He is Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. God himself come down to become our one shepherd. And how much does he care for us as the good shepherd? He gave himself for us. And Jesus said this in verse 15. If you want to go back to John 10, hopefully you kept a thumb in there. Um, in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Do you see the... He's clearly fulfilling Ezekiel there, right? For this reason, the Father loves me. For this reason. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So does he care for us? Yes, absolutely he cares for us. He cares so much that he would die for us. He took our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. His wounds on that cross heal us. His flesh was rent to save us from our sins. And blood and water flowed freely from his side so that like Adam, he might fashion a companion for himself the church, his bride, and we are his bride. We are his sheep. He knows us, and he wants us to know him. Yes, he truly cares for us very much. So maybe you're wondering, all right, I want to know him. How? How can I know him? If you're a believer, if you're his sheep, then you're already in process. But here's what Jesus says in verse 28. My sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. If his sheep hear his voice, then how does he speak? The, the greatest spiritual reality is that he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. And more tangibly, he speaks to us through his written word, the Bible. And without the Holy Spirit given by Jesus, the Bible might not, meet, it might not mean much to you. But oftentimes the Holy Spirit uses his words in Scripture to pierce hearts. And the author of Hebrews wrote this in Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If you are his sheep, you will recognize his voice in his word, and you will submit. So get to know your shepherd. Let him guide you to grazing pastures through his spirit. 
as he speaks to you through his word. He opens the doors every day to guide you to graze. He's not going to just let you sit in the sheep pen either, right? He's not like, hey, Billy, we're going to go graze today. Want to join? Oh, you want to stay in the sheep pen? That's fine. See you later. No, if the shepherd is going out to graze, the flock is going with him, right? So don't resist. Seek him every day and submit yourself to him as he is guiding you to true, abundant life, to knowing him more and more and more. Our shepherd is good. Let us grow accustomed to his voice. Let us know him. Let us seek him. You know, at the, at the end of John's gospel, there's a question for us. It's this, do you love me? The risen Lord Jesus said this to the apostle Peter three times. He said, do you love me? Do you love me? But do you love me? And each time Peter said yes, and then Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. It's crucial that we start the work of shepherding others to Christ by first loving the good shepherd, Jesus, because it won't happen if it doesn't come from a heart of love for the Lord. Knowing our shepherd and loving our shepherd, it is a call for us to shepherd souls here in Burlington. And it's impossible apart from the good shepherd. That's why we have to know him and love him, and that's why he gives us his spirit to enable us to know him and love him. But imagine this with me. As we grow to see the goodness and beauty of our good shepherd, as we grow to know our precious Jesus more and more, how incredible it would be to then see Christ use us to feed his sheep here in Burlington. As we know him and love him, we ourselves would run to him to be known and cared for, and he would use us to draw other sheep who are not of this fold to himself. And together we would all be united under this one precious shepherd. So as we enter into this time of the Lord's Supper, we remember that the good shepherd gave his life for us. And you may... Probably a lot of you are familiar with Psalm 23, which is an excellent picture of the Good Shepherd. And it depicts Jesus as the Good Shepherd who brings us safely through the valley of the shadow of death. And in the very midst of the valley of death's shadow, with death all around, that's the picture of this valley, death all around, ravenous wolves, he is preparing a table for us the glorious feast of his saints in himself. And our cup runs over with the blessing of his blood. Our food is him. I don't know if you guys were here for that, the, I am the bread of life. We already made it very clear. He is our food. He is our portion. He is our feast. So we're going to do something a little differently today, though, in this time of communion. Um, normally we partake at our leisure on our own, but one really important aspect of communion is how it's a symbol of union within the body of Christ. 
we are unified together by the blood of, and the body of Jesus Christ through his spirit in one body. So it'll be a little different today. Uh, first, we're going to take time to meditate on the body of our Lord uh, by ourselves in our seats. And then when we've had time to meditate, then we'll go to, at, at your leisure, to take the elements back to your seat. And then finally, we will partake of them together. Okay, so, um, so as we're entering this, this time of meditation, if you're a believer, this is a time for you to remember how he gave his life for you so that you could give life, have life in his name. If you aren't a believer, we ask you not to partake because this is a symbolic act of a spiritual reality that you have not experienced. But you can take that first step today. You can spiritually partake of Christ right now, right here in your seat. Today is the day of salvation. And the Apostle Paul said this. If, you, if you're not sure how to do that, the Apostle Paul has this answer for you. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.